Welcome back to the Flow State Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Nora Candido. And I'm Monica Groney. All right, let's get into the flow of things. So a few episodes ago, we were just kind of gabbing at the end of the episode about coffee and your hormones, caffeine and your hormones. Nora, want to kind of recap us on what we were talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I forget how we were talking about just getting into like a matcha kick recently, and there is some science behind it. So matcha typically contains less caffeine than coffee, depending on what kind of coffee you're drinking. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But it also has this counteractive component called L-theanine, which is a specific amino acid, and it calms things. So instead of getting that like buzzy, anxiety-producing feeling that caffeine gives a lot of folks, matcha is typically better well-tolerated because of this component. I'm curious if people have ever tried that, noticed it, experienced it, if you, like my husband, think that matcha just tastes like grass or if you're into it. So let us know. We're curious. I'm curious, at least. (laughs) Yeah, come on over to Instagram and message either us or Nora or both of us and let us know are you a matcha drinker? Are you a coffee drinker? I definitely know. So like a year ago, I stopped drinking coffee. I think we were talking about this at the other episode of like, I'd just gone on a sailing trip and coffee made me just feel sick because of the smell of it. And so I switched to matcha and drank matcha for like almost a year. And now I definitely drink coffee again. I always drink half caffeinated, half decaf, because we have one of the Breville espresso machines. If you're a coffee drinker, you need this. And so we just put half and half beans in there. And then the week kind of before my period, I'll typically switch to matcha. And I definitely noticed I used to get really bad headaches if I, I was like addicted to coffee, if I didn't have my one cup a day. And now it's like much better. But okay, if someone's listening and they're like, I can't not have my coffee, like I need it, like what, what would you tell them? Yeah. So it's, I know for a lot of folks, like it is a non-negotiable. They're like, first thing I do when I wake up is hit the coffee maker or it's already going, it's programmed. It's the first thing that I do in the morning. And I literally like face to palm every time I'm like, ah, And for a lot of reasons that we'll dive into today, but I know for a lot of individuals, they like the taste. It's a comfort thing, but also for a lot of individuals, it's feel like they can't function without it, or they can't have a bowel movement without it, or you don't even notice the effects of caffeine anymore. And so if you're saying yes to any of those three things that I just said, or you don't have caffeine one day and you have a debilitating headache, hate to break it to you, but you are reliant. It is really almost an addictive substance, we could say here, and really want to share kind of the root a little bit more about caffeine in and of itself and yeah, how we can help to incorporate it and in what amounts, timing, et cetera, to support our hormones. Yeah. And I think like, especially if you're someone who deals with maybe like higher anxiety or PMDD or whatever it is. I know for me, if I've had too much coffee, it just makes all of that so much worse. What is your, like, what's your relationship with coffee? Yeah. 
So it's definitely evolved, which I'm sure is true. And it sounds like it happened for you as well. But I used to drink it every single day. And then I went off of it for a few months leading up to this like 46 hour dance marathon at Penn State. It's like a no sitting, no sleeping event. So they encourage everybody to go off of caffeine. And when I tried to reintegrate it, when I tried to, it made me so anxious and I was so much more sensitive to it and just feeling extremely anxious, like buzzy stomach, heart racing, palpitations. And I even get past this point of like, I feel like I have ADD. Like I can't even focus on one task, do anything because my mind is like, oh my gosh, over here, look, a squirrel. Like (laughs) so, so distracted. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if you've experienced that. Yeah. What is it that's like doing that to our bodies? Like why does caffeine do that? Yeah. So the way that I even just like to break down how caffeine works in general is I see it as we're like borrowing energy from the future. It's not like we are just manufacturing energy out of nowhere. When we consume caffeine, it's actually blocking these receptors in our brain, the ones that tell us that we are tired. They're adenosine receptors. And when we're drinking the coffee, it's saying, oh, no, you're not tired. Like, just keep going. You know, that's how caffeine works in general. But for individuals that might not tolerate it super well or might be more sensitive to it can be for a lot of different reasons. So in the previous episode, we were talking a little bit about like liver supportive or maybe some things that can be a little bit more detrimental for our liver. And caffeine, unfortunately, falls into that group. Because the way that it's broken down or metabolized is using a lot of those B vitamins. So if we already have a low store or we have no storage of B vitamins in general, but if if our body is deficient in them, it's going to really struggle to break down caffeine and that can make you feel really anxious. If you have all of this buzzy energy in your system and your body's like, oh, I don't know what to do with it (laughs) or how do I use this electricity, it feels not good. And that's when it can be kind of a signal to you like, okay, I need to really maybe remove this out of the equation or decrease the amount that I'm having or do some other things to help support the liver in general so that your body can just tolerate it better. Yeah. And and maybe real quick, like maybe a little recap on why supporting the liver is so important, especially for us who experience like hormonal symptoms. Totally. Yeah, so the liver is like our master regulator for all things hormones. It's really the first stop that all hormones go to to say, okay, we have enough or we don't have enough, etc. So it's really essential. It's so essential for everybody, <laughs> but especially if you are going through any sort of hormonal transition or your hormones are off, this would be a great time to go back and listen to how do I know if it's hormones episode to understand like, is this something that I should do? And, you know, big things that I talk about here too, is that it takes a long time for our body to kind of readjust or acclimate to not having caffeine. For some people, it can really take up to three months until they start to feel their own natural energy again. And I want to share a little bit about why that might be. So if you've ever heard anyone talk about burnout or adrenal fatigue or and you're like, what the F are my adrenals? <laughs> they are little glands that sit on top of our kidneys. They look like little beans 
And that is where all of our epinephrine and our cortisol, all of those survival hormones are made and produced. And we're constantly using that cortisol for anything. If you are an adrenaline junkie, you're like, oh, you know, I have 15 minutes to get to this appointment. It's going to take me 20 minutes to get there. Let me see if I can do it. And you get that hit of adrenaline. Like that's actually taxing your body behind the scenes. It's not great for us. We need cortisol. It is our body's survival hormone. It gets such a bad rap, but it is essential. And that's how our bodies wake up in the morning. So if you use up all of that store that you have in your system, your adrenals are just tapped out. Do it beta caffeine or just always living in that fight or flight stressed out mode like crazy. You are going to feel tired all the time. You might have a really hard time waking up. You might wake up between the hours of 2 and 4 a.m. and have trouble falling back to sleep. Or you feel really, really, really tired, but you're wired. You're like buzzing. Those are all signs of cortisol dysfunction. And that's where caffeine really comes into play with hormones and (laughs) supporting our liver. And this is where it all kind of ties together. So if you are a menstruating person, if you are someone that's trying to heal your hormones, this is definitely something I encourage all of you to do is to give caffeine a break. I know a lot of people are going to be like, what? I can't live without without caffeine, but it is so essential and so worthwhile. Yeah. And it is, it can be really intimidating. And it took me like, you know, being grossed out by coffee for a period of time to really do it. But I'm so glad that I did because I no longer have that addiction. I was literally addicted. I would get like migraines if I didn't have my one cup of coffee. And I wasn't like a multiple cup a day drinker, one in the morning, and that was it. And it didn't matter. Just that one cup a day, I was addicted to it. So someone's listening and they want to ditch coffee or they want to try ditching it. Like how long should they do it for? And what are some of their options? Like, should they wean off it? Should they cold turkey? What's kind of the best protocol? Yeah, absolutely. I don't recommend doing it cold turkey at all. We don't want to have those debilitating headaches or just feel really crappy. I know some people even up to a week. So I recommend decreasing the daily amount of caffeine that you're having by 25% each day. Then switching to like a black tea or a green tea or something that's going to be a little bit weaker, like chai tea, for example, that allows your body to make that transition even smoother. So for an example, you know, cold brew coffees or like those Celsius energy drinks or some of the like fit aid teas and things like that. If something says it's an energy booster or is going to give you energy, it likely has caffeine in it. And I encourage you to kind of flip that label over. Those Celsius drinks have 200 milligrams of caffeine. That's a lot. And our average like latte or coffee might have half that amount. And that matcha could have even a quarter of that amount, around 50 milligrams, depending on how strong it's made. And same with caffeine, espresso, et cetera. They can all all vary a little bit. But yeah, I definitely recommend kind of weaning yourself off of it so that you don't get those headaches at the minimum. Yeah. And it's even like the, there's so many things that have caffeine in them. Like even hydration drinks now, it'll be like plus caffeine or like whatever it is. So 
You may be consuming caffeine in areas you're not you're not even aware that you are right now. Exactly. Yeah. Far beyond soda and chocolate. Like just start paying attention, I would say, at first to even get an assessment of, oh, okay, like my body is really used to taking in X amount of caffeine each day so that you do know how to support your body in coming off of it. But, you know, for people that maybe their hormones are in a decent place and why I like facepalm every time I hear caffeine being the first thing that goes into your system. One, if you are waking up, like we're dehydrated. We haven't drank for however many hours you've been sleeping, maybe even a couple hours leading up to that. Like your cells need water. (laughs) They don't need coffee right away. (laughs) And that is really, really going to make a big difference. So at least having at least 16 plus ounces of water before you even think about your coffee. I don't care if it's lemon water, if that feels nice and comforting or some decaf tea, herbal tea, something along those lines. And when I was talking a little bit about that cortisol, it naturally peaks from like starts ramping up around 530 to help us wake up naturally. And then it starts to die off around like 9, 10 a.m., depending on each person. So if we're going to have caffeine, like that's the time to do it where you're going to get the most benefits without like overpowering that natural cortisol, that natural energy. That is the best time for us to have it for a lot of different reasons. It takes about six hours for half the amount of caffeine to be metabolized or broken down in the body. So I see this all the time, like that 2 p.m. crash, that 3 p.m. slump feeling. For most people, that's when their caffeine from the morning is wearing off. And then we're leaning towards maybe quick more caffeine or easily energy coming from carbohydrates or sugars because your body's like, okay, I am in the toilet with my energy (laughs) and I need to be brought back up quickly. How can I do that? And it knows physiologically that sugar is going to do that, carbohydrates. So that's why we crave those things, but we can prevent that. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, I've definitely even heard, you know, basically what you're talking about is like blood sugar regulation, right? Like caffeine plays a role in that. And so One of the things that I've tried to do lately, and I'm not always perfect, sometimes I do just wake up and drink coffee, (laughs) but is waiting to have my coffee until I'm eating. So have it with my breakfast. Can you talk a little bit about just like the benefits of drinking it with food? Yes, especially from like a GI standpoint too. like caffeine is an irritant. That is why it makes us go to the bathroom when we consume it. So having something in your belly first is going to be very helpful for trying to mitigate or get rid of some of those impacts. And yes, in terms of the blood sugar piece, right, you're going to have some substance, something in your system first providing energy. It's not just this, like we talked about, manufactured energy out of nowhere. So yeah, there there is a huge correlation between caffeine and blood sugar, but people, depending again on your sensitivity to caffeine, Even if you're fasting from however long until 2 p.m. and you're just going on caffeine, you are likely to lean towards more carbohydrate-rich foods at that time, things that are going to provide us more of that quick energy because that caffeine has just worn off. And obviously, your body needs energy. (laughs) Can't just bypass it. Yeah. One of the other things, too, is that a lot of people, and even like I mentioned, you know, switching away from coffee the week before your period and your luteal phase, 
What is the benefit of reducing or avoiding caffeine that week? Yep. I would say even for some around ovulation, it's going to make a difference too. So there's a connection between caffeine and estrogen production, actually. So for individuals that might be experiencing some higher estrogen symptoms, which can include breast tenderness or headaches, those heavy cycles, clotting, cramps, etc., Caffeine, again, is also not going to be helpful for that because it increases the amount of estrogen, which is going to make those symptoms worse. Again, with the week leading up to your cycle, you have a second little bump in estrogen. So that's part of why it's beneficial to limit or avoid it during that phase specifically. But also, if you might already have cramping and some inflammation going on and looser stools just due to the fluctuations in your hormones that having caffeine on top of that is going to exacerbate or make all of those things likely worse. That's a really good time to switch to something herbal or decaf. And I definitely want to talk about specifics in decaf as well. But you might notice a really big shift in the intensity of those cramps, inflammation, and a lot of your PMS symptoms, especially. Yeah, I mean, we already know what period poops are like. And yeah, (laughs) we don't need even more like more intense period poops thanks to the coffee. Okay, so tell us more about decaf. You said you had more on decaf. What's the tea on decaf? Yeah, what's the tea? (laughs) (laughs) Caffeine and coffee in general, unfortunately, can be a source of mold. So depending on where you're sourcing your coffee from, I really encourage you to buy from a reputable even a local place where you can ask them how things are stored, if things are tested for, this is the key word here, mycotoxins. So that is another word for mold. I drink a brand from home. It's actually called Mocha Coffee. I'm wearing their sweatshirt right now. It's so comfy. And they also have a great decaf. And the thing that we want to look for, especially on decaf, is that it says Swiss water process. So this is a way to naturally decaffeinate something as opposed to chemically stripping the caffeine from the bean. So that's going to be a lot better for your system. What? Yeah. (laughs) I'm learning so much. Okay, I'm going to go look at my decaf after this. (laughs) Yeah. And again, if it's a local coffee shop, you might be able to ask them, like, how are you guys actually doing this if they don't have these official labels and things, but it'll be really helpful to learn how their coffee is made. Is it made with a dry method or with a wet method? The wet method is obviously going to have more risk for mold or mycotoxins. So those are some pretty big things that I look for. Another brand that is like very, very highly regulated and tested is called Purity Coffee, and they also have decaf. So that's a big thing. Like if people want to wake up and have their coffee, can you have a cup of decaf first and then have your meal, then have your caffeine, just working on that timing. So if you're not ready to say goodbye to caffeine, even for a few weeks or months to see if it helps your system, try some of these smaller changes first to notice what happens and how you feel. If it impacts your energy, does it benefit your sleep? By cutting off caffeine about 10 to 12 hours before your head hits the pillow can help your system make sure that that caffeine is completely gone before we try and lay down. Yeah, super interesting. I feel like the word mycotoxins has been coming up more often lately. We've even gotten a couple of customer service questions lately being like, do you test for mycotoxins? Which yes, we do. But 
<laughs> like, I don't know. I think that people are just becoming more aware of these things. And it's really cool to hear. I don't know. I always like if we get customers asking questions about specific toxins like that, I always applaud them. I'm like, way to be an informed consumer. Like that, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that and like heavy metals and things and a lot of those greens powders, like that stuff kind of scares me to be honest. But yeah, that's that's a big thing to look for or just again, asking wherever you're getting your coffee from, be that informed consumer. And then some other alternatives can be any sort of herbal teas, right? Especially if you're someone that has like PCOS, where a spearmint tea could be really beneficial for a lot of different reasons. Or if you deal with some GI issues, a peppermint tea might feel really good. I personally love licorice tea. If you do not have blood pressure issues, it's a great natural stimulant. So it, it is actually a form of an adaptogen. And that means that it gives your body what it needs. It is a glandular. Well, I can talk more on that another day. <laughs> but uh, adaptogens are some more of those like functional plants and foods that we've seen now. Things like maca, for example, or ashwagandha, reishi, mushrooms, things like that. That whatever state your body is in, the adaptogen will support it. So if you have really low cortisol, those adaptogens are going to help to boost your body's natural cortisol that would be a good thing. And the opposite, if you're dealing with high cortisol, those adaptogens are going to help to do the opposite. So they adapt to whatever your body needs, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And if you're looking for a good herbal tea, stay tuned because the <laughs> that time of the month tea is coming soon. <laughs> That's so exciting. I love that. I also, I know that Nora, you say this often, but just like tea bags that contain plastic. Yikes. We are actually, our tea is getting made with really, oh my God. Yeah, just eco-friendly tea bags. And so they are like certified to have no plastic in them. But I mean, that's a huge thing too, right? Like we don't even think about it, but some of our tea bags even have like microplastics in them. Yeah, I would say the majority of them do. So I'm I'm really excited to hear if you've found an alternative. I definitely want to look into it. Yeah, I, I look for loose tea as much as possible just to completely remove that from the equation. But it's like millions of particles that can end up in our tea. And especially if you throw on drinking out of a disposable cup on top of that, like they're lined with plastic. Plastic is going to melt in that heat. You're pouring boiling water in there and then you're consuming it. And why do we even care about these plastics? They can throw off our hormones. They mimic estrogen in our body, which can throw us all out of whack. So we'll definitely do a deeper dive on that in the future too. For sure. Anything else on coffee before we wrap up? No, I think this was really in-depth. I, I would say, you know, again, trying some of those smaller things first and just see how it feels in your body if you're not ready to give up for a few weeks or months. But I highly recommend just giving it a try and just noticing how much more sensitive your body will be to that caffeine once you do bring it back in. Yeah, I'm going to go make myself a matcha. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you learned something. If you have any questions about coffee, please do be sure to come over to Nora's Instagram or the Maria Instagram. DM us, ask us your questions. We'll be sure to get back to you. 
And if you enjoyed this, you know, subscribe. We'll be back every week. Leave a review. Let us know what you enjoyed about this, what you learned. Share it with a friend. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye.